Greetings, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. Welcome. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. Well, what are the most important stories? What are the most important news items, news accounts? What are the most important actual events that are taking place? Well, first of all, what we hear in the news media, whether it happens to be from the major media elites, the traditional major network media outlets, ABC, NBC, CBS, and then the public, PBS. Or from the cable news outlets, all of whom owe their success, such as it is, frankly, to Fox News, which was the driver behind cable news and which instigated, if you will, the response from ABC, NBC, CBS to create their media outlets to oppose it, their cable outlets. So in addition to Fox, there's CNN, MSNBC, CNBC, and on they go. All the way to RT, Russia Today, which um, is fascinating. But what are the most important stories? Well, the stories that we hear, the stories that are covered, the stories that are given the greatest play not only by the major media elite, but also by that bastion of not only conservatism, but of right-wing cracker, quackery and crackery and oh, all manner of rabble-rousing. According, according to what I read in the major media uh, press online, Fox News, courtesy of the man who passed at the age of 77, Roger Ailes, Fox News was responsible for disseminating all manner of rabble-rousing. Yes. Not Jesse Jackson. Not Al Sharpton. Not their ilk. No, 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 but Fox News. The thing that always bothered me about Fox News, always has bothered me about Fox News, well, there's not just one, there are multiple things, but is this whole fair and balanced concept, which the left makes out to be an absolute lie, but which for me drives me nuts because they insist on giving time giving a mouthpiece to the left. Just like the fairness doctrine. When we've got all of this glut of extreme leftist propaganda and indoctrination that has enslaved this nation for so long, then to create a new news media outlet which instead of steadfastly opposing it, countering it, fighting it, correcting it, then attempts to be fair and balanced. To me, that's just a fatal flaw in Fox News. It's not the only one. They, of course, have erred on the side of loading the network with women who are selected not only for their mental acumen and their various different degrees and so forth, but for their attractiveness and sex appeal and what have you. 
And then also they have various other ones on there, apart from the, the leftists that they have on there. Then they have others on there who are, frankly, unbearable, at least for me. I find them to be unbearable. Ones that imagine, that fantasize that they are very funny and are not funny. And then others who, like Bill O'Reilly, I've never been able to stand. He's always been just so arrogant. But whatever stories are being reported by the major media elites, and now the cable powerhouses, of which the only one that's been a powerhouse has been Fox, the stories that they are choosing to report upon are not necessarily the things that are of the greatest import. If they're being reported on by the major media elites, they are not the things that are of the greatest import. If they're being reported on by Fox, they might inadvertently manage to report on some things that are of the greatest import. But if you happen to be a family member of one of the people that was mowed down in Times Square today by a motorist who is described as being a United States Navy veteran, then I would say that is the thing of greatest import. Not even the story pertaining to it, but the fact of it, the event that took place, the murderous mass murder attempt, which did succeed at least in murdering one young woman, one 18-year-old teenage girl, But it describes this fellow as a Navy veteran. But if you will read on, depending on what account of it you're reading, you'll find that this fellow, he wasn't deployed. He didn't serve overseas. The United States Navy records show that even though he enlisted back in September 2011, he was based in Illinois and Florida working as an electrician's mate, fireman, apprentice. He was arrested at a naval base in Jacksonville, Florida, after he attacked a cab driver and shouted, my life is over, and threatened to murder police. So what happened as a result of that? What did the authorities in their imminent and eminence, imminence and eminence, what did they do in response to this? How did they reflect their truly superior wisdom and knowledge? What kind of justice did they provide? Of course, flavored with mercy He was charged with misdemeanor battery and resisting an officer without violence. Later on, sometime later, he was in a military prison, a military brig, and then he left the military. But when they say a U.S. Navy veteran, what is the image you get? Is it of somebody who has served over in Iraq? in Afghanistan who has been deployed once, twice, thrice, four times, five times? Is it of a Navy SEAL, whether of Navy SEAL Team 6 or one of the other Navy SEAL teams? When you hear U.S. Navy veteran and realizing it's a young man, believe he's 26, what's the image you get? Is it of somebody who's been stateside all the time that he was in the service? who never served overseas, who was never in combat and never even in combat support? No. But this fellow, when I say attempted murder, witnesses stated that the vehicle was speeding, that it mounted the sidewalk, and it sped along for more than three city blocks knocking people over before the car hit a pole and stopped. To manage to 
accomplish that tightrope running act down a sidewalk for more than three city blocks. You have to go over curbs, back up over curbs, down over curbs, up over curbs, crashing through all manner of people, and the vehicle did not slow and did not stop until it was forced to stop by striking a pole, by striking an object that was immovable. Again, he succeeded in murdering a young woman, and there are at least 22 that are injured, Undoubtedly, many that are gravely injured, and we will probably be having an increased death toll before long. But to say that this wasn't apparently a terrorist attack, I'm sure that's extremely comforting to the family of this girl, don't you think? And the families of all of those other people. Oh, it wasn't a terrorist attack, maybe. Maybe it was. Maybe he did fancy himself a terrorist as compared to just a maniacal mass murderer. I happen to think that it undoubtedly will be shown to have been intended as a terrorist attack. But even if it was merely a maniacal mass murder attack, In point of fact, in truth, it's the same. I hate it when I hear these, when we come up with these new rules of engagement, if you will, these new laws. Well, we have hate crimes. What are hate crimes? Are hate crimes when unspeakable, evil, sadistic, maniacal, hateful, murderous, torturous destroyers hunt down children, innocent children, hunt down girls, hunt down young women, and kidnap them, rape them, murder them. Kidnap them, rape them, torture them, murder them. Kidnap them, rape them, prostitute them, kidnap them, rape them, keep them as sex slaves, keep them for their own uses or traffic them? Are those hate crimes? No, 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 no. Those are not hate crimes. Okay? It's only a hate crime if it supposedly is targeting one protected racial group. One protected religious groups. One of the, you know, the the really highly favored ones like Muslims, then it's a hate crime. If it is focusing supposedly, purportedly, on targeting sodomites. But if it is just typical, run-of-the-mill, monstrous, heinous murder of children, of young people, of young women, of women, of mothers, of mothers with their children, of couples, of young couples, of older couples, of elderly people. Those aren't hate crimes. These are insane, insane laws. Murder is murder. But we never use the Bible as a basis for anything anymore because we have gotten so far beyond it because we are so advanced We are so terribly modern and enlightened that God's word does not count for anything. Even even the Ten Commandments, they must be dismissed. And instead, we will allow unspeakably unjust judges, lawyers, politicians, so many of whom are lawyers, and then bureaucrats to craft legislation, to craft laws, and also not just the senators and the congressmen drafting these laws, but their staffs. And routinely, the staffs of the 
conservatives, the so-called conservatives, typically their staffs are not conservative because typically they hire a lot of people in Washington, D.C. that they did not bring with them and that have been there a long time or not so long a time, but nonetheless are experienced and are not conservative or not Christian, what have you. And they end up drafting legislation. But we get all of this unjust, unrighteous, ungodly, and even unmerciful, unfair, unspeakably unfair legislation crafted and passed into law because we have no regard, no respect, no reverence for God's word, among other things. We're in absolute outright rebellion against God. At least that's the picture we get from the federal government and the state governments and all too often from the municipal governments of which we are blessed with all of these wonderful mayors in the major cities across the nation who can willy-nilly refuse to enforce laws that they don't like because, oh no, these laws are against illegal aliens whom we give all kinds of creative names to. Creative names of, well, undocumented workers and the list goes on. All manner of euphemisms. And so they decide to give them sanctuary. Meanwhile, back in the good old days, when induced abortion was seen as being the evil that it is, the vicious, ruthless murder of the only innocent members of, completely innocent members of society, back then, the same kind of people, they were refusing to enforce laws against induced abortion. And then, as soon as the Supreme Court passed Roe v. Wade, Doe v. Bolton, boy, they just used everything at their disposal to force it upon the citizenry and to militaristically, draconianly attack those who peacefully opposed it. And this has gone on for decades and decades and decades and decades. And you'll never hear about it from the major media elites. You'll never hear about it from Fox News. But but as far as what are the really big stories? Well, the really big stories always escape attention. But as far as at least what's really going on with the major events, the biggest event one might think, one might say right now is this major, major concerted effort to impeach the current president of the United States. The current president of the United States, whom I am not a fan of, whom I do not like, let alone love, I, I don't respect, I don't admire, but who is being run out of town on a rail by those who are actually evil. <laughs> Dare I say that? Those who are actually evil. So when did this great movement begin? Well, it goes back long, long, long before inauguration. Long before inauguration. But as I mentioned last time on the last program, I said, if Hillary meaning Hillary Rodham Clinton, had been elected president, would the media elite have been screaming and demanding impeachment of her when she summarily fired FBI Director James Comey, as she would have? Would they have been up in arms? Would they have been demanding her political life 
Would they have been storming the White House, insisting that she be impeached? Somehow or other, I suspect that there wouldn't have been any movement whatsoever. None whatsoever. But just like with Occupy, you remember the Occupy movement, the Occupy communist movement here in the United States of America? a la Students for Democrat Society and all of the other Marxist such activities. When there is a movement from the left, a movement that is based in lies and deceit, a movement which is coordinated across boundaries, not just geographical boundaries, geographical, demographic, societal boundaries, and is very carefully crafted to achieve societal overthrow. Then the wonderful defenders of liberty via the press. When I say the press, I'm referring not only to print, but to media in the forms of television, radio, now the internet, and so forth. All manners of dissemination then they they not only find nothing to criticize about these mass movements of the left, which they describe as being grassroots movements, spontaneous grassroots movements. <laughs> they find nothing to criticize about them. And they can't manage to do any investigative journalism of them. They can't manage to find any wrongdoing whatsoever. Amazingly enough, it's just, just remarkable, really. But when there is, and there rarely is, but when there has on occasion been a movement by good godly people of faith to try to rein in government regimes that are enslaving and destroying this nation, then, oh my word, it hits the fan. The major media elites swing into all-out war against them. So when did this impeach Trump movement begin? Well, it goes back at least, at least to when the election results were in, at least that far. But you have to understand that what took place at that point in time as soon as it was recognized that he was actually going to win, which to this day has got to just eat at at the brain trust incredibly, because after all, they wanted him to be the candidate. He was the one that they knew they could control. They knew he couldn't win because of all of his fatal flaws, of which he has many. They knew he couldn't win. And so they agitated for him. They helped him become the candidate of the Republican Party. Can you imagine how that must just burn them to this day? You know, in their 
they're more sober moments. <laughs> if they happen to fleetingly recollect that they actually helped make him the candidate, the opposition candidate of their chosen one. But the impeach Trump movement goes back at least to when it was recognized that he was incredibly going to win. But what was required was not some sort of massive movement to start this whole thing going, start the avalanche moving. No, it was already in place. They had been working for months to defeat him. All they did is they just changed organizationally. That's all. They just changed organizationally. They didn't change what they were doing. They'd pull all stops out long before that. They had done everything in their dirty trick bag to bring him down, and they've just continued with that. It's just been a continuation, an incessant continuation of that. The only real difference is that there was more of a coalescence of those involved in working to bring him down. That's all. Well, perhaps you saw that dear old Hillary, that wonderful American patriot, Hillary, that she has now formed a new organization called Onward Together. When I say she has formed it, she didn't form it. It was formed for her. But a new political organization to use as her battering ram. But Obama, Barack Hussein, and Michelle, they, of course, have their organization. And they are very involved, passionately involved in bringing Trump down, as are all of their megabuck backers like George Soros and company, who has considerable experience at societal undermining, societal overthrow, what he did to England, what he did to Britain with manipulation of the the pound, the currencies. It's quite something. But the major foundations in this nation, as well as the major corporations in this nation, and their charitable arms are headed up almost exclusively by leftists. You would never know it because you never hear it from the major media. Oh, no, those terrible Koch brothers. Oh, my gosh. Oh, them. And then the Kathy family of Chick-fil-A. Oh, those terrible, evil, horrible people. Those Christian, conservative, patriot people. Terrible people. But meanwhile, the armies of leftists that they have at their disposal, and their vast riches, that's another matter altogether. Well, this story, the matter of the attempt to bring the President of the United States down, political assassination. It's a political assassination movement. I know that probably sounds redundant, sounds like an oxymoron, because after all, assassination is political, right? Well, Perhaps political isn't the best word for me to use there because it does sound like it's repetitious. But what I'm referring to is a movement to assassinate the president 
non-violently, okay? Only by using violence in the media, violence through political organizations and so forth. It's not to say that they wouldn't use other means if they had to. They certainly, many of them are not above that, but that's not the method of choice at this moment. But speaking of other methods of choice, I know there has been banter about what really was the cause of the death of Seth Rich, who worked for the Democratic National Committee. What really happened to him? He died last summer, and supposedly it was the result of a robbery gone bad, and so on and so forth. And nothing more than that. It couldn't have been more than that. Heavens no. Well, before I go on, let me say this. I'm Brad Thomas. This is After All is Said and Done, in case you missed the initial introduction to the program. And I've been having so many audio issues, I can't even recall whether I really had an introduction to the program (laughs) this time around. But uh, this young man, handsome, healthy, successful young man working for the Democratic National Committee. Now, my own take on it, there is something wrong with him that he's working for the Democratic National Committee, but. Anyway, it has been hypothesized that he actually was behind the leaking of Democratic National Committee emails, uh, which found their way to WikiLeaks and so on and so forth, as compared to you know, all of the hypothesizing that it's from Russia and the Russian hackers so on and so forth. Well, what I would say with regard to him is this, is that uh, back in the good old days of the Clintons, of William Jefferson, Bill, Bubba, Clinton, and Hillary Rodham, back in the good old days, back in Arkansas, there were all manner of suspicious, suspicious events which resulted in the deaths of a great many young men who worked for them in security capacities. And, but suspicious deaths also followed them to Washington, D.C., A suspicious death also uh, followed them to New York State, uh, the death of John John, John F. Kennedy Jr. But there were deaths of other people that you could say followed the Clintons. Deaths such as in Waco, uh, the branch Davidian compound, deaths at Ruby Ridge, deaths at Gila Bend, deaths in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, deaths at the World Trade Center in 1993, deaths in exploding airliners, Deaths of Barbara Olson, who was the wife of Theodore Olson, who was the chief counsel for President George W. Bush in, uh, I believe it was Bush v. Gore was the title, or it could have been Gore v. Bush, whatever it was, uh, with regard to the outcome of that election. She was his wife. 
And she was a reporter, a national reporter and anchor. She was an author who authored at least three books with the subject being Hillary Rodham Clinton. Her last book was At the Publishers. Regnery Press, at the time that she died in the terrorist attack that has been questioned by, very questioned by many, but the airliner that slammed into the Pentagon that she was aboard. And interestingly enough, within a day's time, can you imagine can you, uh, somebody in your family died violently, monstrously, tragically, and then you receive a call from someone trying to console you, trying to commiserate with you? No, instead, trying to get you to give them something. You probably would feel a little bit less than overjoyed about that. Well, the call that was made was not made to Ted Olson even though (laughs) I wouldn't be surprised that he did receive some calls. But Bill Clinton called Regnery Publishing, spoke to the publisher, and used all of his considerable abilities to persuade the publisher to permanently stop the presses on publishing Barbara Olson's new tell-all on Hillary Rodham Clinton. Remarkable. Again, this is within a, a day of Barbara Olson's passing, violently, the hands of Islamist terrorists or however it happened. Bill Clinton, that man who has just shown himself to be such a champion of women, calling on behalf of his wife who ran the war room at the White House for him the entire length of time they were in the White House. It wasn't something new for her. It wasn't like it was something she hadn't done down in Arkansas. No, she wasn't into baking cookies and being a mother. This woman's a political animal of the most ruthless, virulent bent. And she used her not inconsiderable talents to engage in the politics of personal destruction of all women who Bill Clinton abused and exploited and who said anything about it. But anyway, Bill was going to bat for Hillary. They have a marriage of convenience, and he placed a call to Regnery Publishing insisting that Barbara Olson's 
latest book on Hillary never be published. Fortunately, Regnery Publishing had a publisher with a backbone, godliness, and he refused. <laughs> now, I know it's, it's terrible of me. I know it's terrible of me. It's terribly suspicious. It's, it's unthinkable of me to even suspect that Bill and Hill had any involvement whatsoever with the terrorist events of September 11th, 2001. Terrible of me to think that. But uh, given their track record, I admit I do suspect them. After the terrorist attacks of 9-11, of course, we had all manner of extreme leftist communists and so forth sprout up across the nation, various different professors who came right out and said that Bush was directly responsible for it and so forth. And there was no problem. There was, <laughs> there was no problem about that. They could say anything they wanted to say. They could just sling any kind of charges they wanted to sling. No problem. Uh, but that's a one-way road. <laughs> but no, there were many reasons uh, that I was extremely suspicious from day one. And one of the reasons was what happened on, it was either day one or day two, with Bill's call to Regnery Publishing. But I digress. So... My point is just this, is that this young man, young man Seth Rich, hey, who knows? It could have been a robbery gone bad. If so, it was very convenient but uh, for certain people, certain organizations. But if they had evidence, if they had what they considered to be ironclad smoking gun proof that he was responsible, well, then I would think that foul play would in fact have been the order of the day. Perchance you saw this about some information that our president passed on to the Russians that was actually gleaned from the Israelis, from Israel. And uh, to say foolishness, it, it is such an, an extreme, extreme, extreme understatement, but the idea that our president would be so foolish as to pass on information that was provided to him by Israel, to pass that on to Russia, to the Russian Federation, with their deep ties with some Islamists. <laughs> not all. No, no, no. No, not all. But some, such as Iran, Hezbollah, and so forth, to me it's unimaginable. But he does some unimaginable things. Impeachment-worthy? No. But it certainly is the kind of thing that could cause serious disruption of working relationship with Israel. And it could certainly result in, hmm, depending on the information, could result in very compromised uh, circumstances for Israel, for its intelligence gathering, for its people <laughs> involved in intelligence gathering, for, uh, for its whole intelligence organization, and, and for the security of the nation. 
So impeachment for the president of the United States of America on the base of, basis of that? No. <laughs> but uh, extraordinary, breathtaking lack of wisdom. That's not to say that some of the, many of the leftist organizations here in the United States of America might, might want to use that as a premise, a reason. But no. I'll speak another day on, again, on presidents that I would have actually uh, been in favor of impeachment for. Richard M. Nixon is one, and not because of Watergate. Watergate, as I mentioned before, was like Al Capone going to prison for tax evasion. But again, that'll be on another day. I don't think there's a chance of this passing, but I will mention it nonetheless, that there is a movement, there is attempt to try to bring some semblance of reason to the laws restricting concealed carry of firearms so that there would be uniformity across the nation that recognized carry of firearms in one state would apply to other states. I don't think there is a chance of a snowball in hell that this will go through. It would be tremendous if it did. But given the times in which we live and the extreme leftists and all of their organizations and so forth, I just, I just don't view that as being realistic that that's going to happen. But perchance, so what are the big stories? There are <laughs> so many things going on out there of which we, on a day-by-day basis, are unaware. And, uh, but then there are these things, these blips on the screen that are pretty hard to deny, you know, North Korea launching its latest missile from a test site uh, there in western North Korea. And United States fighter jets intercepting Russian bombers flying near Alaska. Now, as far as why Russia is choosing to test the waters the way that they are in the Caribbean, along the Pacific coast of the United States, along the Atlantic coast of the United States of America, off the coast of Alaska, they are probing American defenses in all of these areas, all of them. In the Panama Canal, Canal Zone, elsewhere throughout the Caribbean, up the Atlantic coast, down the Pacific coast, they are probing, probing, probing. Not to mention elsewhere, <laughs> but notably here at home. And this goes beyond saber-rattling. This is more akin to military reconnaissance than anything else. These aren't just training flights. These are reconnaissance maneuvers. Probing the strength and weakness of the United States of America. Now, Russia can launch their nuclear weapons from land-based launchers on railroads from underground silos, nuclear submarines, but and ships. But their Navy surface fleet is certainly very inferior. 
But they have really juiced up, really beefed up their Air Force. And they have very significant launch platforms from the air. Very significant, as well as from the ground. And to think that this is just, I don't know, just some sort of exercises. You know, just some exercises, just some training maneuvers, just some saber-rattling by Vladimir Putin. Hmm. It just so happens, as I've mentioned before, that North Korea, it's kind of a co-satellite of both communist China and also of former communist Russia. China and Russia were both directly involved in the Korean War against the United States of America, against NATO and the United States of America, as they were both directly involved in the Vietnam War against the United States of America and South Vietnam. And while North Korea is engaging in doing what it's doing, courtesy of their sadistic, petty dictator, Kim, Kim Jong-un, well, communist China and the Russian Federation are engaged in other activities. But they are complementary activities. And they are activities which, taken as a whole, they threaten the future of the United States of America and therefore the future of people around the world. People in the free world, so-called, people in what used to be referred to as Christendom, should take note. Because the future of the United States of America is of vital, critical concern for these nations. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to, if we seek the truth and don't just believe what we are told. Thank you. Thank you.